Today we're talking about how to create and curate paid Facebook groups, how to use grit as an accelerator for success, and what are your minimums? What are you going to do every single day, no matter what your current mood is? Welcome to episode 19 with business coach Rob Sperry. You are listening to Len Jones Party of Two, where experts and influencers speak honestly and openly about their keys to success. Sponsored by TrueFace.ai, where your face is the key. For more information on TrueFace, please contact your host at ian at trueface.ai. Now, pay close attention, because you're going to learn today. Mmm, what up, party people? It is a damn good day to have a damn good day, which is why you need to put whatever's been tampering your mood today into your back pocket and then forget to wear pants. You know, so much of our day is spent worrying about things we cannot control. We need to ask ourselves every time a worry drifts into our subconscious, is this something that I can take action on or is this just a crappy story our mind keeps playing on replay? It seems that the most successful people in the world have a great grasp on being able to control their thoughts. Thoughts can be this beautiful, magical, unicorn-like fuel, or thoughts can be absolute garbage, and you're a byproduct of what you keep feeding yourself. That's easier said than done because we all fall victim to negative thoughts, but it's taking action such as listening to the speakers on this podcast that pushes you in the right direction. A solid serving of brain berries does wonders for the soul. And if you're new to the podcast, our mission here is twofold, to educate aspiring entrepreneurs by dissecting the come-up stories of incredible humans by extracting the golden nuggets that you can apply now to better your life. And second, to have all my friends in life that are making moves, to meet my other friends in life that are making moves, to create one giant community of extraordinary people. This conversation with Rob Sperry was nothing short of excellent. On the outside, Rob has a beautiful family with four kids and runs a multiple massive Facebook groups full of A-list leaders that he started from scratch. You'll find him on social media tending to enjoy posting funny truth bombs on various issues that plague the world. What I find very unique about Rob is he comes off as a super normal guy. Sometimes we have guests on the show that are just so extraordinary that you think, I could never do what they do. But Rob, Rob is the definition of someone that became super consistent at being consistent. And now his life is legit a dream come true. I particularly loved how he spoke about a concept called defining your minimums, meaning what are you going to do every single day, no matter what your current mood is at? Rob also speaks on his recipe for creating a paid subscriber Facebook group, the process he took to organize his life through outsourcing, as well as many golden nuggets surrounding how to be consistent with using grit to get to where you want to be. And so if you find some brain berries in this podcast that provide value, I'd love for you to take a screenshot and tag my Insta at Len Jones so I can feature the good vibes on the story. Now, Without further ado, let's jump into it. We are here with the the legendary Mr. Rob Sperry. Rob, how you doing? How you living? I'm great. You've got you up and early. We've got this all planned out, ready to go. Holidays are done and the energy is just back. For some reason, yesterday felt like Monday to me. Monday in a good way of, right, the crazy, crazy motivation and excitement. Right. We got all the New Year's goals, the New Year plans. Everyone's making their fresh goal sheet, making freaking moves. And that's what this whole podcast is all about. And you are the definition of someone that seems to always be making moves. I kind of feel like you're a character straight out of Game of Thrones. <laughs> and and for a few reasons, you know, first off, the show never disappoints. Am I Phenomenal Khaleesi, show. the guy version? Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're definitely Jon Snowin. <laughs> But uh, until you wrote the book Game of Networking, which is pretty thronesy, if you ask me. Hey, totally. As it worked, it was like I was coming up with names. And actually, when they said that, I'm like, ooh, that works. We got Game of Thrones, Game of Networking, right? Everything in life is a game. You can make it fun. So good timing. Absolutely. And, and Rob, I, I told you this on the phone. Um, you know, we've I, I've known about you for so long. Um, I'm so glad that we're finally connecting. But I've always, you're, you're very, you're a consistently popular guy. And what I mean by that is you always, every time I hear about Rob Sperry, it's always something super positive, super just like uplifting. I've never heard any even hence negative feedback at all. Like I know many of my close friends have studied under you, have mentored under you, have listened to you. Um, I've watched your growth on Facebook over the past three years, mostly two years. I feel like it's really taken off for you and you have just been really blowing it out of the water. So 
would love to kind of hear about like where where did the OG Rob Sperry come out of? Like, tell us a little bit about your story. Well, I appreciate it. My mom would be very, very glad and proud of your introduction there. She would approve. So thank you. Uh, yeah, it's been a long journey. I mean, obviously, we always hear the highlight reels, right? And I've had a ton of successes, but I've had way, way, way more failures. And that's the part that a lot of people don't hear about as you go throughout the journey. It's, you know, the times when you're not sure if you're going to make it. But prior to network marketing, it was actually the tennis guy. I played collegiate tennis. I played semi-professional tennis. I ran a tennis club, taught tennis. So everything was just tennis, 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 tennis. And we always learn, I think, from whatever we were doing prior. You can learn from anything and everything. But at that tennis club, you know, just like the direct sales or network marketing industry, whatever it is, 80% are, are women. You know, I was dealing with very successful women. I mean, there were three to 400 women at this tennis club. And so I did that for four years from age 24 to 28, where I had to learn how to manage relationships, had to learn how to better communicate. Nobody had to take lessons from me. Nobody had to come to my tennis club. So I had to learn to lead through influence, not through title. Uh, and so I didn't realize that, but I was just being trained in a whole different level for networking, not network marketing as well, but just networking in general, uh, how to lead through influence, not through title, how to communicate, right? How to be bold and strong but at the same time, understand uh, and so, you know, that's where it started. And then I got involved in the network marketing industry just over a decade ago, which I thought, as most of us probably think, I thought that was the last thing I'd ever do. Living in Utah, it was like every single person was part or joined at some point some sort of network marketing. I felt like it was the blind leading the blind. Hey, sign up a couple people. You make a ton of money. And it just never resonated with me of make money off people with no business plan. And it was like net lottery ticket marketing, net hoping, net dreaming, net wishing, not network marketing. And so um, I was never interested until I was approached, really I would say just the right way. Someone approached me and treated it like a business. And they showed me that, hey, this is gonna be really hard, but it's also gonna be worth it. And so uh, long story short, I made that transition and it's uh, it's been a lot of highs, a lot of lows, but it's definitely been worth it. It's very interesting how whenever someone says they're not interested in a certain product, business, or opportunity, it can always be changed by a different approach, a different way of being introduced to it, and all these things. And it's, it's so funny when you think about or you talk to someone in the past and they'd say they'd never do this or I would never in, in my you couldn't pay me to get involved in this literally. Uh, and then, you know, you see them a year later and they're involved and they're just like, they're, they're on the stuff, you know, they've been taking the powder and they're like, you know, all yipped up. Like, <laughs> uh, it's crazy. And I think that everything you've done has just been a accumulative success, just always learning, always growing. And it makes sense with talking about women because it is a women dominant industry and women absolutely crush it in the industry, like hands down. I think it's 78% women. I don't know the real stat because you hear all different, right, from DSA and which companies are counting. But I, I believe that to be true. And I believe it to be that high or close to that high. And women, are just, they're just really well networked. They trust each other. And also kind of an interesting insight is women are tougher than men. Um, and I know this is generalizing, so I hope this doesn't offend anyone. Women may wear their emotions on their sleeves more, meaning, you know, some guys will tell me, yeah, but women whine more. You know what? Women are way tougher than us guys because they don't have the same egos that we have. Guys have a good or bad day, bad week, bad month, bad quarter. And it's like, oh, yeah, that thing didn't work out for me. And so they move on to the next thing and they make all these excuses Women, sure, they may wear, generally speaking, their emotions on their sleeve more than most men. But at the same time, they're way tougher. Their egos are way less and they're willing to just fight through it and they're way more loyal. And so I always say I'll take tough over good any day. Of course, I want tough and good, but tough will stick around long enough that it gives them the opportunity to figure it out. Whereas there's a lot of people that are good and don't have that toughness because of that ego and in reality, when that bad moment comes, 
their ego can't handle. That's why, you know, there's the, the book called Grit and it just talks about that. I mean, that was the number one thing when you talk about, you know, Navy SEALs. That was the most important thing it was grit. It wasn't talent. It wasn't anything else. It was just grit. So that's one of the most important principles to success in anything in any, in any industry is that grit. I'll take tough over good any day. Right. And I, I feel like it's very easy um, for people to do the whole comparing their chapter one to someone's chapter 20. And I know in your case, that's very easy. Um, and I know you're actually not even even involved in the industry anymore. You've taken a different approach. We'll get into that in a bit. Um, but can you attest to a certain moment, maybe where you might have hit rock bottom inside of your own life and you really had that call where you're like, oh, damn, it's time to make moves. Like you really had a breakthrough moment that just lit you on fire and you just went on a 90 day run or whatever you did that just set you up. Yeah, I think most of us, what we want to do is take the path of least resistance. That's human nature. So most of us don't do things until we actually have to do them. So when people get involved in network marketing, they fake work. I'm just, it's tough love. I'm just going to be honest. They got a checklist of 20 things to do. They make the plan for the plan of the plan of the plan. They study the 72 ways the comp plan pays. They know all the secret magical ingredients, right? That, you know, the, the, the magical ingredient that, that grew during a full moon in the Himalayas that a sheep peed on. And it's like they can tell you all the company owners and founders and their kids and the company history and the comparisons and all those things. And they're going to be on the team training and they're going to make sure that they're there and they're reaching out to their team members. Hey, I'm here for you. But guess what? That's all fuel. That's important. And they're doing all the personal development. Hey, this is a guy that I've read slash listened to over 700 books the last 10 years. So I'm huge on personal development, all those things. But they do all the things except for the thing, which is reaching out and talking to brand new people. And so as they do all those different things, they're doing what's called fake work. Well, I got caught up in that. My very first month in network marketing, I crushed it because I had to because I was, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And so I made over $15,000 in my first month of network marketing. I didn't know the difference between bonus checks and residual. So I thought I had a residual income. It was just a bonus check. And after that, I did the fake work. I managed. I went to management mode. All I did is, hey, how can I help you? I'm doing personal development as well. I'm studying the comp plan. I'm on every single training. I'm committed because in the real world, you trade time for money. You had a job. You work X amount of hours. You get paid X amount. But in network marketing, the comp plan doesn't care. It doesn't care if you worked 100 hours or two hours. It's based on results, which means you got to focus on the IPAs, income producing activities. So I'm in this management mode, fake work, fake work, fake work, fake work. I'm checklist, right? I'm doing the 19 things except for the one thing I need to do, which is reaching out to brand new people. I'm trying to get everything out, everyone else to do what I did month one. And we know speed of the leader, speed of the pack. Whatever you do well, duplicate sometimes. Whatever you do poorly, almost always duplicates so what i'm doing poorly it's duplicating like wildfire so fifth month in the business i told you my first month i made over fifteen thousand dollars fifth month in the business i'm done i'm only doing network marketing i've quit my job where i'm making a hundred thousand dollars a year running a tennis club the only thing i've ever known how to do and i'm working 80 hours a week but it's fake work fifth month in the business i make less than four hundred dollars for the month Less than 400 bucks. I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at my check. I don't know if I'm supposed to cry. But I'm, I'm someone that naturally internalizes things. I'm not very loud. I'm not very – I don't show any panic outwardly. It's just like the inward panic. And um, I'm very introverted that way. I'm not introverted in the sense that I'm not shy, but I'm very just chill. I'm more soft-spoken. And at that point, I had to make a decision. Because I said I was committed and I said all these things. But at that point, it was I got a wife. I've got two kids at that point, And I'm used to making you know $100,000 a year and I made less than $400 a month. And at that point, really, it was either I'm in or I'm out. I can tell everyone else how hard I'm working, but I got to go all out or I've got to go find a job. But there's nothing wrong with finding a job. I just got to decide. I got to stop fake working. And so I did. And I went all out and I started making those new contacts again. I, I started to become the person that I would want to recruit rather than just trying to find that person. I started to become that person. My volume went up three and a half times 
what it was in December and January. It never dipped below that three and a half times ever. I still had months where, right, there were rough months because the residual wasn't high, but it was never $400 a month. I still had times when I doubted, am I ever going to get to the levels I want to or how long is it going to take me? But it was that moment where I felt like I truly recruited myself because that's the hardest person you're ever going to have to recruit. And we always talk about, you know, the level of your commitment, a large part will determine the level of your success. But let's be honest, you can't have someone start day one and they're 100 percent committed. You don't know how committed you are and you can't be fully committed until you actually have trials. You just can't. You can say it, but you don't really know until you have trials. And I thought I was committed, but then I had that cold water thrown on my face and I had to. I had to recommit. I had to decide again, right? Have I really recruited myself? And at that moment, it was either I'm in or I'm out. And so I made that decision, which helps, right? Where even though I had a lot of other issues, at least it was no longer, am I doing this or I'm not? It was more of my brain was focused on finding solutions on how I'm going to do it, which was great. I didn't have to divide my focus on, am I in or am I out? Or everything was focused on how am I going to make this work because I'm all in 100%. Burnt the bridges. I'm going to make it happen. You can ask me three years from now and I'm still going to be in. So that was that. That was probably the biggest defining moment in my business where I'd finally, finally recruited myself. Wow. That was very descriptive and captured the emotion. And you could just see in your eyes and just in your body, like you can feel yourself back in that moment, like how you felt. And, and it's just like when anyone starts any sort of company in any sort of business, you kind of throw yourself into the wolves. It all sounds like a great idea and it all sounds so much easier than it actually is going to be. It's just how it is. And, but hey, that's the nature of getting started. And the people that get started are the ones that end up getting results. And you know, you took their necessary steps. You went through the roller coaster. And I loved how you said that you were in managing mode. Um, that's something that I've seen um, in, in my personal life and career, and, and I've, I've suffered from that too. I think almost everyone that's a big-time leader has suffered through that, and that's probably one of the biggest hurdles someone that's going to be like get to that next level is going to have to overcome. But Rob, so now you're not even um, – I was you're not involved in the industry anymore, so you took a step back, and can you tell us a little bit about what led to that decision and kind of – um, what that main focus is now? Yeah, hundred um, <clears throat> percent. I used to say that if you can't build, you coach, and now I'm coaching. So you always have to be careful what what you say and who you make fun of. That was my perception of most of the coaches. Of they really had never knew how to build, um, and so it's it's ironic. It was never the plan. It was never anything I aspired to do. I mean, my biggest fear was public speaking when I started network marketing. I couldn't even speak in front of one person. This last year, I spoke in nine different countries. I had my own personal generic events in Australia, in Canada, in the UK. Um, I did a mastermind retreat in Mexico where I had 14 different million dollar earners. And so a lot can happen as you go. But for me, it was just, I was always networking. In my book, The Game of Networking, 95% of the content is non-network marketing. It's just networking in general. And so I was always networking, always, because I always felt like being an introvert, I wasn't the loudest person in the room. I was one of the most quiet. I mean, in my friend group where we hang out with you know, six couples that my wife and I are best friends with, I'm the most quiet of all of them. And they all know that I'm not shy. I'm crazy ambitious. I'm not shy at all anymore. But... I'm the most quiet. So I always felt like the way that I could win is by having a network. I always felt like I was good at making friends with other people, making people feel important, making them feel valued, being thoughtful, focusing on them. And so I always felt like the way I was going to win was by the law of association, by networking. So when I started network marketing, what I did is, is I literally would go out to lunch every single week from people from other network marketing companies just to learn from them. I would go out with other, other eventually, not just other leaders, but other CEOs of other companies. And I consistently did that with no intent of recruiting them. It was, I just felt like I need to learn. I want to absorb this information and knowledge from all these different people. And so after I'd been in the industry for about eight years, I started having companies ask me, hey, can you consult for us? Can you come speak for us? 
And then I had other leaders, hey, can you come coach our teams? And so it just naturally happened. It was it was a natural evolution where enough teams, enough companies, enough leaders said, hey, can you help us out? So I said, all right, well, I started doing consistent Facebook lives, consistent content. At the beginning, it was just help plug my teams in. And then I had enough people that started just asking, hey, can we get more and more of your content? So I felt like at some point I had to decide I could have done both, but I felt like to go to the next level to have more influence and have that trust from all the other teams and companies to have that full trust, I felt like I had to be generic. Because let's be honest, it doesn't matter how good you are, if you're building in a company, you're not gonna have quite as much, even though you can have a lot. And so I just said, you know what, for me to reach that next level as these leaders had come to me personally, I just said, you know what, I just, I feel like this is what I need to do. And so uh, I did it. And uh, this last year was really the first full year that I had done it. And it, it was a scary decision to say, I'm not going to go back and build. Of course, there's always things that you miss 100%, but it's it's been a lot of fun. And I, f I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. I know everybody's different for their path, but it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. So we'll, we'll see where the journey goes we never know we think we know but we never know right right first of all that must have been so much fun throwing your own event like just to be able there to to MC an event that you're just pouring into people uh, i mean that just seems like such a dream for anyone that reaches any level of success and it's great in these world like in these days no matter what your hobby is if you're into hockey if you're into fish if you're into any sort of weird peculiar or very mainstream thing you can create a group doing it and with social media you can find your tribe anywhere in the world so it's like we always recommend anybody go on facebook live talk about what you love because your tribe will find you hashtag whatever your tribe is you will find other weirdos just like you that love the stuff you love too right and i say weirdos because everyone's weird right everyone's got some weirdness to them and if they don't they're probably not that fun but uh Rob, you have created a phenomenal Facebook group, and I've only seen one other individual, Ray Higdon, um, pull this off to the level that um, kind of paved the way inside of this particular industry. But you have a Facebook group that you've curated. Uh, I believe it's a paid subscription Facebook group. You've created a paid community out of that. Um, tell us about the evolution of Facebook groups. How, how did you end up into doing something like that? Well, I had the idea years ago, but I created a free Facebook group. The idea was, hey, there's GoPro. Everyone loves this camaraderie. Everybody loves connecting, sharing content, sharing information and ideas, collaborations, the new competition. So I created the game and network. I don't even know how long ago, two and a half years. And I thought I was going to create this paid subscription group, but the free group took off so quickly. I think at one point, Within like four months, we counted, we had over 150 that we knew of collectively as a bunch of leaders, 150 plus six-figure earners that had posted and interacted inside this free group. And now it's probably well over 500, um, well over 500 after two and a half years. And so at that point, I'm like, okay, like this makes it where I even know that a paid subscription group is even more needed. But at the same time, I felt like a I had to really focus on the free group. I didn't want to create confusion. And so the concept was it, of it was twofold. Number one is there's a lot of teams and a lot of companies that just feel like they're not getting enough. They're not getting enough um, content. They're not getting enough leadership. They're not getting enough help. And so number one, I thought, well, why not become that upline why not become that support system for all this i mean this 200 plus billion dollar incredible industry why not become that and help people out number two was even if they are getting it you're never a profit in your own country i don't care how good you are at some point people get sick and tired of hearing the same exact voice again no matter how good you are it's not a shot at any of you or your leadership so i thought okay why not create a place where we can actually edify whatever you're teaching if you're a great leader, but give them outside perspective and help them out. And so that's where the Tegon Nation came about. Tegon just stands for the game of networking. Tegon Nation is the paid subscription group. So I said, why not create that? And then where I feel like we really distinguish ourselves is going along with that concept of you're never a profit in your own country. There's no one I want to hear from every single day. Um, that's just me. 
And that's why, I mean, think if you're doing a podcast, you love doing your podcast. If you imagine if it was just you every day and nobody else, I don't care. Ian's as good as it gets. This guy knows how to bring out insights. At some point, there's no one I want to. That's just me personally. There's no one I want to listen to every day. I don't care who it is. I mean, I was trained in network marketing by a $30 million mentor. At some point, it it just got old. I know that sounds weird, but at some point, it's just you're not as grateful. So I thought in the paid subscription group where I could be unique is I brought in a six plus figure earner every single week now for over seven months and they're 18 minutes or less. And every week you get a brand new insight from a leader. And sometimes it's just, you know, giving you, reminding you. And so that's where we've really created that um, just uniqueness where people can come in and they can get this very well-researched, you know, topic from a specific leader and so it's been it's been a lot of fun so that was that was my either they're not getting enough training or you're never a profit in your own country and so we make sure we have a balance of not over training them we don't go in every day and do long trainings because then people turn you out and it becomes white noise and so we just kind of balance that out so it's been uh it's been fun. And every day I'm always thinking probably like you are with your podcast. of like, okay, who am I bringing on and new ideas and how do I make it where it's like in depth enough to help you out, but not too much where you're overwhelmed. It's like, okay, now I have too much. Now I don't have enough, right? Back and forth, back and forth. Man, you said so many golden nuggets there. I, one thing that is consistency, right? Because consistency can make an average person incredible. You know, like and, and you're clearly well above the, the term average, but it doesn't matter who you are. As long as you are consistent at doing it, you can become uh, relied on by your listeners and you can become a valuable inspiration or source. You can you can absolutely make it up. And I know your Game of Thrones name would definitely be Tegon Sperry. That would be your Game of Thrones name. <laughs> Tegon. Tegon Sperry. I mean, hopefully I don't die like in the first couple episodes. <laughs> oh, man, I can't wait for that. But the other implication is managing that group. I mean, you have so much stuff running right now. I mean, I know personally for me, you know, I have big goals, big dreams and things that I want to accomplish and do that are going to require outsourcing. It's going to require relying on other people to help build the brand, help build the influence and help manage the day-to-day tasks because it's just humanly impossible to do it all by yourself. Can you walk us through that experience the first time you ever maybe hired a personal assistant or you might have um, brought someone on the team to help you do that? Maybe the ups and downs that you, you saw with that? Yeah. I mean, at the beginning, it's hard because, you know, a lot of people like, when do I outsource? I can't afford it, but I can't afford not to. So I just scaled up. I mean, I felt like as I was going, you know, I had to just slowly scale up and add different things. I had to slowly scale up and just add different virtual assistants to help me out um, as I went. But I just think it's important that people focus on what you're best at. And I know that's really hard, but sometimes people, what they do is, 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 I don't know how else to say it, but sometimes I think we're, we're frugal or we're cheap and we feel like we're being financially responsible. But sometimes what happens is, is you can't do what you do best. And so you're saving pennies, but you're stepping over dollars. And that's, that's where it was really hard for me to figure out what to outsource and when. And so now I I have a Facebook ads team. I have an Instagram team. I have someone help me with my paid subscription group with people that have questions that on login questions or cancellations. I have someone that takes my content from Facebook lives that I do and creates a blog post. And then I review it to make sure, right, they're taking my content, my words, right, and doing that. But it started out with just one. And then as I did one, then I found that was actually the quickest way to make more money is the sooner that you outsource, the better so that you can focus on what you're very best at. I'm very best at creating content and relationships. That's what I want to do the most. I want to stay in. And this is for anything. It's the principle is, is do what you do best, right? Double down. Gary Vee says it. Double down on your strengths, punt on your weaknesses, and too many of us are just trying to do everything as possible can. And you can find cheap things like like too many people spend so much time on things that they shouldn't. I mean, on Upwork, 
right? Or Fiverr, you can outsource so much stuff. I mean, I at the point where I don't want to spend an hour on creating great PowerPoint. So I found some awesome dude from the Philippines that charges me 15 bucks to create a killer PowerPoint. You know how much time that saves me every single month? I mean, he does three PowerPoints for me that would have taken me probably three plus hours with details. All I do is just write it out, tell him to go create it, make changes and that sort of thing. But as you start doing it, there are cheap ways to find things to outsource. At the beginning, I know it's hard because you're like, oh, I want everything. You still review it and make it so it's yours. But I just think it's so important that we double down on our strengths, pun on our weaknesses as we're going about doing this. Interesting. I like how you talked about previously that, you know, you owned this, uh, this tennis, little tennis empire and you're coaching and living in the world of tennis. First off, I love tennis. I, I'm not that good at tennis. I'm trying to get good at tennis, but tennis is one of those sports you can play your entire life. And I always recommend, like, I, I kind of wish in high school I played all the sports that I could play my whole life, like golf, like tennis, maybe become a pool shark or something. But, you know, I, I, I like I like getting this insight. If you could have kind of went back in time and say that you had to choose another career, it wasn't network marketing, it wasn't being a tennis player. What career do you think that has always very much interested you that you never dove into that was just really appetizing that you probably think you would have crushed? Oh, man, that's tough. I mean, I feel like I'm an entrepreneur. That's what I've always thought in everything. And that's how my creative brains got going. So for me, when I started, I started by running my own tennis program and then I ran a tennis club and I had this huge goal of always running a tennis club. So that's what kept me up, right? That's where I have these notebooks of writing ideas and I had like, you know, all these business plans and I was pitching it to people. And then I bought every small business magazine and every entrepreneur magazine and I was looking at franchises because I didn't know what business I would start. And so for me, I love hunting more than farming and I love the creation. That's when I feel most valued whenever I can be part of something creating. And so I think for me, it would have been anything where I feel like I could have started a business. That's where I would have gotten really excited, where I probably would have struggled with is after of maintaining that business. Um, and that's where I would have outsourced and found some help. And that's where I've learned my weaknesses is if it's part of creating and continually creating, I'm good. But if I create and I maintain, then I struggle. Maintenance is fatigue. It is. Building is energy. And I firmly believe that. So you have to find in anything you're doing a way that you're constantly not maintaining, right, that you're actually building. And I found that, right, with coaching where I'm constantly creating new content and I'm building and I'm pushing myself and I'm creating that. And so I think for me, it would have been, I don't know specifically, but it, it would have had to be something where I created and started a business. That's what it, it would have just been starting a business. It wouldn't have been anything job related, anything where I felt like I could create a business. That's where my mind gets going. Okay, how can I create better retention? How can we bring more customers in? How can we have them have a better customer experience? How can we have more influence? That's where my brain just goes crazy of trying to understand marketing, right? How can we create better marketing and better branding? All that stuff is when my brain just goes absolutely just crazy. Nice. And I, I love the quote, the only way to coast is downwards. So it's like, you always got to be climbing, always got to be making moves, always got to be doing something to move the needle, especially if you're running the ship. And that's for someone that is starting their own business that might have their own startup that's out there, that's running some sort of technology or whatever, that everything kind of relies on, you know, you're, you're Santa Claus, you got to make sure that you, you're bringing the, the presents to, to Christmas or it's not going to happen without you. And when you rely on old wins, it gets old real quick. So it's always getting into that habit of finding new wins and making moves. And Rob, one thing that I really um, admire you is you're a really good inspiration for the family life. You know, you have four children, um, beautiful children. You have a, a beautiful wife. You seem to just have like the whole nine yards down. Like you, you crushed Christmas card game. It's probably one of your strongest, your strongest suits. What is it like growing a, building a business while maintaining, you know, the parental responsibilities and the stresses and having no time and being there for your family and, and, and just that whole roller coaster as you're building your business. Can you kind of walk us through some things that you do to kind of 
how you've developed that? Look, first thing is, is, is there's such thing as, as perfect. Um, I feel like I have an incredible life. I have an incredible wife. I have incredible kids, but all of us still have our issues and weaknesses. I feel like I have as good a relationship as you can um, with my wife and with my kids. I don't miss date night. I do date night every single week. Um, I make sure I make time for my kids. Uh, I make sure that, you know, I allocate specific things for them. Balance is overrated. Balance doesn't exist. We're never balanced. But the key is to figure out where you're the most out of balance and lift up from the bottom. Because sometimes we think we're doing something. Like, for example, people tell me all the time they're building this for their family. But then they lose sight of their family and they lose their family while trying to build this for their family. So the key is lift up from the bottom and look where you're the most out of balance. The other key is, is minimums a lot of times become maximums. So you've got a, you've got, if your castle, let's say my castle is my family, then how do I protect my family? That's the moat. So sure, I may go on attack mode, right? And say, okay, how am I going to create that residual income? But the protection is, is, is doing you know, I did seven family vacations last year. So as much as I traveled for work and I was, you know, I was in Australia, Canada, Mexico, I was all over these places. I made time to do seven family vacations. I had uh, three trips where it was just my wife and I. So I invest in the extremes. I gave up a lot of my likes to gain my loves. Too many people aren't willing to give up their likes to gain their loves. They don't know the difference. For me, sure, I like watching NFL football all Sunday. But I love having time freedom, financial freedom. I love spending quality time with my family. So too many people aren't willing to give up those likes to gain their loves. And because of that, they never gain their loves. They're all mixed up. So for me, I was very clear on exactly what I wanted. And I try to, as much as I can, create that moat and protect as much as I can. And even still, look, as we're talking right now, Right before we started, you know, I had in the calendar that I'm doing a training at 3 p.m. today. Well, I put everything in the calendar, right, so I can communicate with my wife. But my wife didn't check the calendar. She asked me if I'm available to go sledding today at 4 o'clock. Well, it takes an hour to drive to the place that we're going sledding, and it's expensive. This place is like you know, it's legit. Like it's like all planned. They've got tubes, like they've got this tow rope that takes you up. It's really expensive. It was sold out. So I get a text beforehand, like, okay, be ready to go. And I'm like, well, didn't you check the calendar? She's like, I didn't check the calendar because I asked you. And I said I could go Friday, but I didn't check. So it's like both of our faults, right? But that's just reality. So she's frustrated, right? I'm frustrated. That's just part of life. That's just how it goes, you know, like I'm like, we have a calendar for a reason. That's why that's the paper trail. She's like, well, I asked you specifically. So we're both wrong. Right. But it's part of reality. So there's always different things. There's always different miscommunications as you go. But the thing that I respect the most about my wife is when we had our first fight, when we were engaged, which is my fault, I'm like, oh, my goodness, panicking. Like she's going to break off the engagement. She's like, no. That's part of that's going to be part of marriage. There's going to be so many times where you and I disagree, but you commit and you figure it out. And so I just think that that's an important principle. And that's why I was like, oh, I love this woman so much. She just gets it. And as good as our relationship is, yeah, we have disagreements like we're having today. It's just normal. And so you just got to figure out what reality is. You got to figure out, you know, where where those minimums are. Protect yourself. I mean, I haven't missed personal development in 10 years, not one day reading. Not one day. I've only missed reading the Bible once in the last 10 years. I haven't missed one entire week of working out in 10 years, right? I set these things to protect me so I can continue to become the person I want to become. Now, I have a long ways to go, but I'm headed in the right direction. And I am a much better father, husband, friend, leader, person because of this industry, because I've created these minimums. And I'm a firm believer in show me your minimums and I'll show your future. People all the time always Oof. talk about their B hacks, their big hairy audacious goals. Those are great. We all have those. We're dreamers. But you show me your minimums and I'll show your future. What do you do when you don't feel like doing doing anything at all? What do you do when you don't feel like it? Yeah. And that and I just think that's 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 something that isn't talked about enough. 
That's powerful stuff. What are your minimums? I love that. I love that. Because it's like everyone feels that when they get home late after work, they're exhausted. They throw on their jammies or whatever. They go back. They're hungry. They have to cook food. They're like, should I take takeout or should I cook food? I got to do the dishes. I got to do all this stuff. And they, But what are those things that they're going to do no matter what? They're feeling those feelings. They're tired. They're hungry. They want to do stuff. I love that. What are your minimums? What are you doing every single day? For you guys that are on here, that's a good exercise. Everyone should write out what are your minimums. What are the minimum things you're going to do every single day when life just doesn't work? It doesn't play to your advantage. And you, know, Rob, you talked about a few different things, but it's always like to see people's vulnerabilities. You know, is there like just something that you just wish you were better at? Like every day you just try to get better at, but you suck at it. You just wish you were better. Like you're just, no matter how much you try, you just you struggle <laughs> with this one thing. Yeah, I wish that I were better at being spontaneous um, because I'm so disciplined and I have things planned out. And sometimes it will be like, and I'm a networker, right? But at the same time, like if my wife's like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, we're going at five o'clock with this different group and it's like four o'clock and I didn't know about it. I'm not happy. Right. Even though I'm a networker, I'm not happy because in my mind, it was just like, oh, in my mind, I was just going to chill with you, babe. We're going to go to dinner. Or if she's like, you know, it's like Saturday morning, whatever. And I've been working, working, working and the whole week. And I'm like, OK, Saturday morning in my mind, I've got planned. I'm going to do a workout and then I'm going to do like two hours of this and this. And she's like Saturday morning. Hey, by the way, like we're all going to go do, you know, yard work for an hour and a half. In my mind, I'm just like. I haven't planned for that in my mind. So I'm just like, you know, it's almost like this, like I'm, I'm like in a bad mood instantly and I don't get in bad moods. Like I'm very just even kill, but instantly it's like, I fight that, that nature of it wasn't planned. So it's <laughs> like, no, like I don't want to, I don't feel like doing it. She's like, well, you're doing it. Cause I may wear the pants, but she decides on the size, the color, the brand and everything else. So I'm like, Oh, like, you know, and so I just wish that I, and I'm working on it, I wish that I were better at just adapting sometimes and going with the flow. Now, if there's big trials that happened from that type of standpoint, I roll with them. Like trials for me, it's just kind of like, you know, I just, for whatever reason, those are easy for me, which those should be harder, you would think. But those are just kind of like, that's part of life. So I planned it, even though it's spontaneous, that's fine. But the little crap things like that, for whatever reason, I don't know, man. I just, I need to get better from a personality standpoint. Um, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people can relate to that, you know, getting up and going. But at the same time, it's also a positive. You're planned out. You're consistent. That's your 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 biggest positive. It's the other side of the fence. It is what it is. But but that's, it's cool to always be working and, and growing towards something. And you have a very unique kind of... Uh, viewpoint of the entire network marketing industry you know having built it having been in it having used it as a vehicle to to do personal development like you said your book's 95 percent not about the industry and that's why i love that's why i love bringing on guests on the show about it because it pertains to every industry these lessons that you said can go to any traditional business any startup for a conservationist looking to change the world and save some trees and make a serious impact, these are all tools that they can do and use. But And then you talked about coaching and just how much joy that gives you, like coaching humans to see them grow. Because obviously humans, we're always trying to grow. If we're not growing, we're dying. And if we're not reaching towards something, we're not happy. Hence why so many people are disappointed at their jobs or or disappointed in certain positions where they're not growing, even if they're making a boatload of money. You know, having that feeling that I learned something and did something new. Um, where do you think that the maybe the network marketing industry is heading? And does that excite you or does it disappoint you? Yeah, there's strengths and weaknesses in everything. I think Amazon has really changed the game. Everyone always talks about, and you know, I mean, you went through it of like FTC this and this and this. And look, like I never bought into that. And let me give you why is because tell me how many companies you know that have done over $50 million in sales that have been shut down in the last five years. You can tell me one, right? And there's a second one that I know of maybe in the last five years. 
So it just doesn't happen that often, but everybody freaks out like it's going to be like common practice. It never has. They don't have enough resources to be able to do it. So to me, that's never been the bigger threat, even though I think that it's good to learn and it's good to always be aware because you don't want that to happen. But to me, the biggest threat, strength and weakness has been Amazon because you know, and, and eBay one, because people take their products and they were re repurposing and putting them on eBay to sell. But is Amazon really just brought down prices, costs for great products that were not network marketing. And so I think that it challenged the network marketing industry, especially in North America, where companies had to become more customer centric. Companies had to create better customer acquisition. Custom companies had to create better value and marketing on their products and systems that were attached because nowadays just with Amazon where they don't have to have auto ships. Nowadays they can, but they don't have to. Nowadays you can just buy and it's just user friendly and you know they get the shipping and it's shipped, you know, if it takes like three days, you're frustrated and mad. Amazon's just created this whole new ball game that's that's just so simple where people can get great products and it's brought down the cost. And so I think it's it's it at the beginning it really was hard for network marketing and and a lot of network marketing companies struggled especially in North America. There weren't that many if you counted that. Of course company like to tout their momentum, but when we talk about old school momentum going from you know, growing by a hundred million dollars in North America, there weren't that many. I can count of, of less than a couple and I, I'm not going to name names, but less than a couple. You can tout growth. That's great. But we're talking a hundred million dollars growth. There weren't that many. Um, and so I think that it's helped. And now I think you're starting to see companies go for opportunities. Great. But the opportunity comes from having a strong customer acquisition. And so I see the industry headed that way. And I think that it's weeded out a lot of the, the bad companies that were only focused just on the opportunity, which I'm a big believer in the opportunity, but the opportunity comes with having strong customer acquisition. And so I see the, the industry heading more and more of actually really having a strong customer base and taking care of customers, which is, which is the roots of network marketing. That's where it started, right? You have a great product, you share it with people. But in the end, it became more opportunity, 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 not great customer base, which leads to great opportunity. So that's what I would say of what's kind of happening and what's happening and where it's headed, especially with the information age. I mean, before you can make crap up, right? Like people just say like, this is the greatest secret ingredient ever and nobody else has it. Now it's like information age, people just do research. Like, you, you know, the BS sniffers there, like you just can't make up crap. You got to have good products. And with word of mouth, it's spread all over social media. So it enhances if your product's great or if it's bad, like it's the great exaggerator, right? The information age is. So um, I think it's good. Overall, I think it's, it's great. Also, um, I just think more and more it's, it's becoming where people trust word of mouth more than anything else. And so I think because of that, it's, it's really helping network marketing um, big time. People are looking for what network marketing offers. They're looking for culture, camaraderie, community. Uh, they're looking for residual income. They're looking for great products. So I love where the industry's headed. Uh, I love what it's doing. I love with social media, how we're all able to just help each other out and make it happen. Akuna Matata, baby. There it is. You know, if, if this is something that's always draws some valuable insight and it kind of has to do with a little reflection. If you were to kind of go back in time, did you go to did you go to college? I actually graduated against my will, but that was my wife's requirement when we got married. And I said, I will never use it. I hate school. And she says, that's so cocky. How do you know? I'm like, I just know. I'm not saying like anything about it. I'm just saying I don't, and I'm not against anyone that does it. And you know, all of my in-laws have all graduated. I graduated. I graduated actually in marketing, but I'm like, I just won't ever use it. Like, I'm not going to get a degree just to say I got one. If there's a purpose and you're going to use it for something, then great, more power to you, right? I'm glad there's degrees for becoming an attorney or doctor, right? I'm very glad. But uh, but I, I did actually graduate from it. And to this day, I even tell her like, see, all the time, every year I tell her, I'm like, see, told you I wouldn't use it. She's like, I know. I just thought it was a good backup plan at that point. So it's, it'll be interesting. We'll see. Um, I teach my kids that school is for discipline right now. 
And I tell them, I don't want you to ever judge your self-esteem off of it, but look at it as a way to learn discipline. And that's what school is, is for. I a hundred percent agree with your outlook there. Like, oh my God, you just nailed it on the head. I mean, I, I was an economics major because it sounded like the most smart thing to major in, not because I liked economics. Maybe that's why I don't do anything with economics, but you know, it's definitely a new world for sure. But like you said, there are professions that need degrees that are very applicable, but then also there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of bogus and people are stuck with student loan debt and everyone knows that issue, but we won't go into that. The question is, if you were to say something, if you could go back in time, teleport, do some hocus pocus stuff and whisper one, two or three things into your ear as a 21 year old that might have just graduated college, what would you say to that person? What would you say to that earlier you that would just help? Um, I would have said a lot of things. I would have said network even more. The law of association is important. Get to know every single successful person you can and just ask questions, do what they tell you to do. I would have said um, go crazy on personal development and just learn like everything you possibly can. I would have said, go in, don't go into anything that has a, that has a low ceiling. So for example, in the tennis club, teaching tennis, no matter how good you get, I mean, I became, I ran a tennis club at age 24. Most people are 45, but at the same point, there was a ceiling. When you teach tennis, there's only so much you can charge in the state of Utah. I mean, you just can't go above that. So the ceiling you can reach is pretty quickly. And then it's like, what do I do? You try to create leverage, but tennis clubs aren't profitable. They just aren't. You can try to make it at least somewhat profitable, but the ceiling is here. So find something that has a really high ceiling. Because the tennis club, I got to the point where I couldn't make more money. So it stifled my creativity. It's like, well, what do you do? And I got, as I said earlier, maintenance is fatigue, building is energy. So I got fatigued because it was just maintaining. So find something where you feel like you can continually build. And as you continually build, right, you create that linear income. Whereas a job, right? I mean, certain jobs, it doesn't matter how good you are. You're not like the amount of income you're going to make is just minimal more. And so find something that has a lot more potential so you can stretch yourself. And then whatever you go into, become an expert on it. How do you become an expert? Literally read, read at least 20 minutes a day on whatever it is you want to become great at. So for me, uh, over a year ago, I didn't know how to really um, create email campaigns. I didn't know how to use click funnels and create funnels, right? Or use Kajabi. I didn't know how to create a subscription model. All of those things I know how to do very well. I didn't understand Facebook ads. All those things I understand very well now. But that's because what I did is I found something specific that I read every single day, at least 20 minutes. For me, it was actually over an hour every single day on that specific thing until I felt like I'd become well-versed. And then I practiced it. And just every single day, it's just like better and better and better. And you'll be amazed a year from now how great you become at that specific skill. I love that. I I'm reading books all about um, just how I'm on a health kick. So I've just been, you know, everyone is, there's so much autoimmune issues out there in the world that people are struggling with and invisible diseases and stuff. And it's been fascinating me. And I've just been reading, just like you said, 30 minutes a day. And I'm quickly becoming like, I feel like I can almost hold my own in, in a talk with that, but I'm not there yet. But Rob, what would you say to someone that right now, and this is probably one of the staple questions of this podcast what would you say to someone right now that maybe is working a nine to five job that might be making a ton of money, might be making no money, might love their job sorta, but might absolutely hate their job, might feel like they're stuck in this box, this soul sucking box, as Justin Peterson said. What would you say to that person that is thinking about getting involved in entrepreneurship? They, they have an idea, there's something they want to start, but A, they're scared, they don't want to, they don't know if they have enough money, they don't know about their bills, they're fair, what if they're going to fail, they're right on the brink of making a serious move. What would you say to that person to try to get them over or under that bridge? Yeah, so I mean, I would say the first thing is, is rich people think long-term, poor people, poor people think short-term, that's spiritually, financially, physically, mentally, that's in all aspects of life. And so I would say the first thing is, is, 
you got a rich person's mentality. I mean, I actually just had this conversation with a guy that's made over $5 million. Like we talked for 45 minutes before you and I got on and this person's at a, a crossroads. He's trying to figure out specifically um, what he's going to do. And he's got all these things that he wants to do. And I'm like, look, like to become great at anything, you already know the answer. You got to become obsessed. If you can't become obsessed, then you're not going to become passionate. You're not going to unlock that creativity and you're not going to do whatever it takes. It's a quick fix. So he said, no. And these are just reminders. This guy's made so much money. It's just, it's almost like he's talking to himself, right? And I'm just regurgitating some information he knows. And he's like, no, that's true. So he's giving me these three different ventures he's looking at. And I'm like, this venture right here, like there's, there's no way you're going to be excited about this a year from now. He's like, that's true. I'm like, cross it off the list then. And I said, you can't, you, you're not going to get passionate. You're not going to become obsessed with it. And he's like, no, that's true. And so my advice would be for all of you is if you're thinking about it is, is one is just think about your life five years from now, five years from now. And if it's something five years from now, you feel like, okay, this could provide more passion in my life, more excitement, more purpose, more. And with that, right, you could create more, maybe even time freedom, right? Not at the beginning. Businesses aren't going to create that. But in the end, it could create that for you. Then it's worth it because every decision we make is based on two things. Number one, can I do it? And number two is, is it worth it? So first you're thinking, can I do it? And if you've had success, you know you can, you're just scared. Number two is, is it worth it? So that's why I talk about look at three, five, six, seven, eight years from now. And are you gonna look back and say, I'm so glad I did that. And if you are, then just start. It's not gonna be perfect. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I work with, even non-network marketers that are creating brands or something like that. And they try to make everything perfect. I know, it took me seven plus years to write my book, stupidest thing ever. Now I started my second book, and I'm 80% done with my second book in three months because I'm just like, just do it. Now I'm going to spend the next probably five months finishing the last 20%, but it's going to be out this year. It's not going to take me seven years. And so, you know, I would say just do it. Just get started. You know, Walt Disney says it best. The best way to get started is just start doing. And that's what you need to do is you just get started. You don't probably don't quit your, your job unless you have a ton in savings and realize that it's going to take, you know, time to build up and scale up. But just get started. And if that overwhelms you, um, I don't know what else to tell you except for, you know, one of my friends that is one of the top realtors in the entire U.S., he's creating an entirely new brand. And the advice I gave him a year and a half ago made all the difference. And this is how stupid simple it is. I said, do something every single day. That's it. And he said he, said he followed it for six months and now – he has uh, one of the most successful podcasts in Utah. I mean, he interviewed Mitt Romney. He interviewed uh, Super Bowl champion here. I mean, I could go through. But he just started. He said he was going to do something every single day. And that's it. And so my best advice for you as an entrepreneur, if you're going to do it, I don't care if it's even just five minutes. Do every something every single day, every day. Remember how I said minimums become maximums? Every day you're going to do something to progress your business forward. All right, Mr. Sperry, how can people follow you on social media? What do you prefer? Where can people reach you? Yeah, what you can do is Facebook is the best place I'm the most interactive. Um, I've got a business page. You can follow me there. Uh, business page, I've, I will do interviews and stuff probably once or twice a week. But on my personal, actually, Facebook, I'm consistent every single day. I'll make a post. Sometimes it will make you laugh, right? Um, sometimes it'll inspire and motivate you. I do Facebook Lives as well, all different content. Um, today, you know, I don't care appropriate or not appropriate. I'm just me. So today I said if someone's talking behind your back, then just fart. That was my post today. So sometimes you'll be like, that's stupid or that's funny. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the best place to follow me consistently. And then just click on that C first. So scroll over the following, put me as C first. If you like my content and you want to see it on a consistent basis, um, you'll get that. And if you don't, then you can always just kind of unfollow if you'd like to after, but that's where you can get consistent content. Beautiful. Yeah. Clean up your list. Make sure you're listening and watching the people you want to watch and listen. And Facebook makes it very easy to do that. So make sure that everyone in your newsfeed is only some good, positive, happy people 
that if they're behind you, you're farting on them. And if they're below you, you're, you know, you're jumping on them. But in general, Rob, thank you so much for jumping on. I know your time is so valuable. And just I've learned so much from this from this podcast. I can't wait to re-listen to it. Uh, I get thank you so much for joining, man. This has been a pleasure. Hey, I appreciate you, Ian. Thanks for all you're doing. I think you just started. I know it was scary starting the podcast and you just started and now I've I've watched a bunch of your interviews and it's been fun to see. So it's an honor being on and keep doing what you're doing, my man. All right, you the man. With all that said, Akuna Matata, everybody. We out here. See you later. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time, peace.